0: Hello, 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 everyone. Thank you for clicking play for the On To Something podcast. My name is Zane Witcher, and I will be talking just for the next couple of minutes on episode number three. For everyone that's been listening, uh, I thank you so much for your feedback. Uh, anything that you can send me is always helpful. Things like stop recording in a cave and don't lose your voice in your writing. All things like that, extremely helpful. We'll keep integrating it. This is the third, what I like to call the zane log uh, that will be happening. We've got one more next week. And then after that, we'll start doing some interviews with people who are in the first third of life. So if you want to go back and play in previous episodes, you can listen on Spotify or iTunes by typing in my name or the Onto Something pod. That's all one word, Onto Something pod. Be sure to stay tuned at the end of this episode because we've also got a fun way for each of us to connect. So now let's get to what we came here. One of the basic life skills I think every human needs to know is how to navigate an awkward room full of people. I've discovered about 25% of my job is helping awkward rooms become a little less awkward. These years have taught me a couple of techniques to de-awkward a room, but one of my favorites is a response to a simple question that makes everyone's eyes roll in the back of their heads like a slot machine. What's life-giving to you right now? I partially love this question because it's like a superpower because it splits the room in half immediately. One half of the room is full of heady people who think to themselves, oh, great. Another subjective counseling question that people are going to process their feelings. Can we just get on to the real stuff? These are my thinkers. They're the cold, hard facts people. They want to be no fluff, no emotion, just ideas. Let's talk about things, not ourselves. The other side of the room, they roll their eyes because they're in disbelief that it's even taken me this long to ask this question. I thought you'd never ask as their response. These are my feelers. These are the people who like to talk Enneagram all day, every day. They're the people who only take a couple minutes and they realize that this conversation is going to need to be packed up and taken to Starbucks because they're going to need the rest of the evening to pack this and talk about it. The thinkers, they despise it. The feelers, they love it. By the way, do you know which one you are? I think I've got a guess. I, on the other hand, have a different experience when it comes to this question, though, because I find this question to imply something that I want us to be on to in this podcast session, which obviously brings me to gnawing on couches. Yes, that's right. I said gnawing. My wife and I are friends with this amazing couple who have a four-year-old who basically has a larger-than-life personality. One of the ways he embodies this amazingness is through experiences like the first time we visited their house. Uh, up until the first night we went to their house, he had never seen us in any other context except church once a week. And to say the least, that he was pumped for us to come over. Now, before I go any further into this story, there is a critical detail to know for this story for it to make sense. Uh, our friend's son really isn't big on things like, I don't know, names. I think for him, names just complicate the world, and it's just unnecessary. So he strictly calls us by our gender. Most days, I'm boy, and most days, Carolina's girl. I know, very convenient. Anyways, on the night of our arrival, their son was filled with so much excitement that when he answered the door and found us standing there, he screamed at the top of his lungs, boy and girl, here, then chose to go into a full meltdown of joy at the entrance of the house. We hadn't even stepped in the foot of the house yet, and he had already gone off the deep end. Now, I've been around these small, tiny human beings enough to know that there are many forms and techniques of choice when it comes to meltdowns, but this one, this one was a new one. Because after screaming our genders, he ran over to the couch in tears and began to uncontrollably gnaw at the arm of a couch. Like a rabid, crazed raccoon. Seriously, he went to town on this couch like it was no one's business. If this couch would have been a turkey leg, he would have put anyone at the Texas State Fair to shame. Now, why this meltdown and just gnawing on the couch? Here's the deal. The world may never know. What I do know, though, is that there are plenty of groups of people in this world who self-destruct while they're waiting for a door to open in life. And that behavior doesn't just end when you're four years old. I'm going to be brave and say that in some strange way, we all have times in our life or in the midst of energetic excitement or anxiety or the drive that we want for a door to open up, we find ourselves in a meltdown. We've been the same level of position in our job for the past five years and we want the next promotion really badly. Like, really badly. Or at least we want switch jobs. We've tried out several relationships. And none of them have done the trick just yet. We haven't found the right match. And we're ready to have another person to be able to do life with and be settled with. We can't stand to take one more step in our academic or trade school career because we want to start doing the thing in which we're training ourselves to do. This is the thing that we do over and over again that has the possibility for a meltdown. Now, there are many ways for this to manifest itself, but its point is this. The longer we wait for a door, especially the one that we find great and that others are walking through, the higher the chance we have to have a meltdown at one point or another. And if we're not careful, we start to gnaw away at the more metaphorical couch of life. Or let's step away from the metaphor for a minute and just be honest. It starts to eat away at our friendships. It starts to annoy the people we work with. It gnaws away at the commitments or contentments that we have in life. And it makes us start asking questions that we didn't used to ask about ourselves. And what do we do with all this pent-up energy that we have about our life, our dreams, our relationships, our future, the doors that we're looking for? Well, for starters, we go to the source. I discovered a disturbing lack of street knowledge from my spouse the other day as we were driving home in the car, and we were talking about someone's potential. And after saying this phrase, oh, you know, she's going she's gonna to be the goat one day, Carolina spent a couple of minutes uh, rebuking me and how I spoke inappropriately about that person. Uh, two things happened when this rebuking took place. First, uh, I acknowledged that I couldn't blame her because my record hasn't been that strong in the use of the English language. You have probably already noticed this on the podcast. One time I actually told a friend that her hair was coarse, thinking that that meant thick and beautiful. Uh, although now I realize what I actually told her was that her hair was rough and dry. My bad. Uh, I own those moments of ignorance for sure. But secondly, uh, I was teaching a moment of why it does not help to cut yourself off completely from the sports world, because language like this does not translate for you. And for those who secretly don't know what we actually mean when we say that someone is the GOAT, uh, let me bring you in to the secret. It's simply an acronym meaning the greatest of all time. I know. Now you can sleep at night knowing why Twitter is covered in all these GOAT emojis. But back to the people gnawing on the couch of life. The root source of this anxiety and pent-up energy is what I like to call GOAT syndrome. I find it a common diagnosis in the first third of life as people are working towards their 30s. In fewer words, it's a common wall for the first third of life. I'd simply define this wall as goat syndrome, as any form or feeling of the following. A deep desire to be great, to do something great, or be thought of as great. Look for an ambitious or driven young person and you will find in the deep crevices of their heart It's a desire to be the greatest of all time. Now, we each fill in this blank uh, differently. And the funny thing is we judge and we find pointless what others spend their lives trying to be the greatest of all time about. And mostly we do that because their thing is not our thing. But part of our maturity is being able to identify what is our thing. What's the thing that we want to be the greatest of all time? We all have it deep down, one way or another. Now, there's a couple ways that people try to medicate the GOAT syndrome when facing this wall in the first third of life. The first way is to mow down everything in sight to be able to reach it. This is a mode of operation where you start always asking, what's it take? Another degree? Another friend group? More networking? More experience? Another internship? Another job? Whatever it takes, they will do it for the sake of reaching the GOAT status of life, even if that status is just in their head and with no one else. The other response is simply to shame yourself or become cynical for ever feeling or thinking this way in the first place. Sometimes life has just kind of kicked you in the gut and you refuse to get up. But there's also another way and ways in which uh, I'm not trying to stereotype anyone because everyone faces it. But I make an observation after doing this for a lot of years. I run into a lot of men who at some point or another were told that their ambition or their drive or their energy was flat out selfish. And they shouldn't focus on these feelings. Actually, they should destroy these feelings. And what I'm wondering is if there's a different way, though, to address the goat syndrome in a way that doesn't try to tell you not to be human. And this way starts with one of the people in the world who knew the best at how to be human. That's right. Now it's time for the Jesus turn. There is an author by the name of John Mark Comer who describes Jesus' outlook on life in a way that I greatly appreciate when talking about greatness. He talks about it in such a way that it recognizes your humanness. Tucked away in one of his books is an observation he takes from an interaction that Jesus has with his friends who honestly are struggling with their own form of goat syndrome, at the most basic level, what they're arguing about is who can be the greatest out of Jesus and his entourage. Comer's observation is not that the origin of the conversation should shock us, as much as the ending of the conversation and how Jesus responds should shock us. You would think Jesus would take them to town on even talking about being the greatest in his presence. But Jesus doesn't actually respond the way that we would assume him to. Jesus doesn't shame them or question them by saying, how dare you even think this way? Instead of rebuking their desire to be great, watch this, Jesus redefines their desire to be great. Anyone who wants to be first must be last and the servant of them all. These are the words that Jesus chooses to unleash on his friends in this conversation. If you want to be first, Jesus says, which is another way in modern language of saying, great, you must first realize it starts in becoming last. How do you become last? You become a servant. You must become one who waits on others. You must be one who directs your attention to others instead of yourself. Here's Zane's way of putting it. Greatness isn't found in making your own life great, but making the lives of others around you great. Greatness isn't found in making your own life great, but making the lives of others around you great. In other words, greatness isn't a bad desire. It's a desire, though, that desperately needs to be redesigned in us and for us. And once we redefine it, we must reflect on it in a healthy way and redirect it. For the sake of others. So what's the bottom line that I keep rambling on and on about? It would be this achieving greatness for yourself is a burden that will ultimately either crush you or crush the people around you. You'll never be able to feed it enough, sustain it enough, or achieve it enough to reach a place of satisfaction. What you can do with your energy though is redirect it in such a way that you live for the purpose of making other people's lives great. I'll give you an example or two of this from someone else's perspective. A few months ago, I found someone by the name of Annie F. Downs who said a really stand-up statement that I think is an example of redirecting the goat syndrome. Annie's got a voice right now that God is using to be able to shape people's lives. Uh, She writes, she speaks, and she's sought after by all of these different groups and social media communities and influencers. A few weeks ago, I heard her, though, make a statement that touches the core of what Jesus' words are to his friends about greatness. She recounts how that at the beginning of her career, she found it life-giving to get the opportunity to lead out in front of other people and to get to do all these great things. But now looking back on it after a couple of years, she finds that her greatest work, the most valuable work, is empowering others to be able to do great things. All the upfront greatness she receives and recounts is basically just receiving an immediate and deteriorating reward. She fully acknowledges that even though many people follow her one day in God's future, she will follow those who are living quiet, private, non-world-defined great lives in a mission to make everyone's lives great around them. Another way of saying this is saying in God's future, It's not the people people who publicly have a goat emoji next to their name for the great things that they've done that God won't trust more to. But it's the ones who saw their entire existence as the opportunity to make other people's lives great, who will flourish in God's future. This actually resonates with my life a decent amount because a lot of the things that I do in my life uh, and in my faith are public. They're considered noble or great things. In moments when people point them out to me as greatness, I'm quickly reminded not to hold on to those. Because what I need to hold on to is stories like my friend who I hang out with weekly, who she spends day in and day out without any public recognition whatsoever of fighting human trafficking. And she helps make the lives of those who have encountered the darkest corners of the world a little bit better. Ultimately, she's made her life great by making other people's lives greater than they would be without her. One of the things I can start doing is paying attention less to names that are on screens and are on stories and are on the things that we put our attention so close to. And I can start directing my attention more towards lives and stories like hers. Why? Because one day, I'm going to be following her leadership in God's future. That's a greatness that can and will sustain us. Now, before you turn off the pod, because there's no way that you're fighting something systemically as an injustice right now, uh, like every day like my friend is, I want to encourage you that it doesn't have to take a form as dramatic as this. Your job is to use your life to put into words how you want other people's lives to be great. I don't know if you notice this, but there is a lot in people's lives that aren't great. You don't need to do it all. Please, for heaven's sake, do not try to do it all. What you need to do is find the lane in making other people's lives great that you can do. And now, there's a way to find that lane. Have you ever looked into regret psychology? If you're like me, one of the times I I do it is right after I'm done eating my feelings and Pop-Tarts, which... Quite frankly, I wish it was a joke, but this is actually a cry for help through this podcast. Please send help and more Pop-Tarts. But psychologists have found that it's interesting the psychological trends that start to change in the form of regrets that we collect in life. And the insight that they found is this. In the first third of your life, our short-term regrets always seem to be oriented around what we've done in the past. We shouldn't have taken that thing. We shouldn't have cheated in that thing. We shouldn't have slept with that person. We shouldn't have said yes to doing that commitment for that long. But over time, your regret narrative changes. The long-term changes. You change from regretting what you've done to moving towards what you didn't do. That's right. In other words, FOMO never leaves you even when age comes into your life. As you enter the second and third stages of life, Your regrets will focus less on what you did and more on what you didn't do, the opportunities you didn't take, the words you didn't choose, the decisions you wish you would have made. And now we're back to the same sense of gnawing on the couch of life for different reasons. We don't just face unopened doors. We also, at some point in our life, will face the doors in which we never opened in the first place. Living our lives through the lens of the goat syndrome ultimately leaves us empty-handed for the next two-thirds of life. So what do we do about that? What we do with the energy, ambition, anxiety, and the drive that you have right now in the first third of life is you take that chomping-at-the-bits feeling of wanting to do something great and you redefine it. Once you redefine it, you redirect it. We redefine and redirect our hearts to greatness that won't leave us gnawing on the couch of life. We don't want to stop thinking about greatness. We start thinking about greatness in the same way that Jesus told us about greatness. Because a life of making other people's lives great won't leave us empty, but it'll leave us fulfilled. So here's the simple question that I want to leave you with, that I think is good for you to chew on and wrestle with. What do you dream about for other people in the world? What do you desire for people? What do you long for for other people? What do you look around and wish that could be changed for other people's lives? This is how we set our hearts in motion towards a different type of greatness. A type of greatness that spends our whole life energy answering the question, what about other people's lives? Do I want to make great? So now that we've got things nice and awkward, let's get back to the question I asked at the beginning of this podcast. The question that makes everyone's eyes roll. What's life-giving to you? If I had to put my cards on the table, I would confess I like this question. Not because it gets people talking, although sometimes it does, but because it's on to something about the life that you are living right now. The phrase life-giving speaks to the words in which Jesus spoke a long time ago. In order to truly live, it requires us to give away our lives. Dreams that outlive ourselves actually help us find ourselves. To give away our lives to other people's greatness is truly what it means to do something life-giving that's great. So let's work on that together in finding what that something is that's life-giving. Because you know what I've been saying all along. My hunch is, is that you're already on to that something. All right, compadres, this has been the third episode of the On To Something podcast. Uh Be sure to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. That's going to help us be able to track things and just know where we are out in the world. Like I said, after the next week of doing one more Zane log, we'll have an interview with some first third stages of life uh, and people's perspective with that. So you don't want to miss out on that and make sure that you're tuned in for that. Uh, To end this podcast week, though, we would like to drop a goat wallpaper, which you can find on your story that you can actually copy and paste and put on your story. Uh, It's pretty fun. Uh, So what we want to do is we want you to fill it out, and we want you to be able to say and respond to what things you believe are the goat, the greatest of all time. And don't forget to tag us at Pod. And we'll actually respond to whatever you post and give you a shout out. So thanks for listening, and I hope to see you next week. Until then, remember that you're on to something. I'm out.